Hello, everybody. This is Ryan. This is Avery. And we are from the Frame by Frame King Crimson podcast. And you are listening to Pods Like Us. To pods like us i'm martin quibell known to my friends as marv and this time i am joined by ryan lane and avery desmond from frame by frame an analysis of king crimson how are you both doing really well how are you i'm fine thank you and thank you both for being here yeah i'm doing pretty good too <laughs> good thank yeah you, thanks for having us thank you thank you thank you how were you both introduced to uh, podcasting then um, so I didn't really get into, um, podcasting until I think it was, or like podcasts listening to them until a friend of mine introduced me to this podcast known as Chapo's Trap House. Um, it's a political podcast and I won't go deep into the contents cause you know, politics are an iffy thing to talk about, but I became a big fan of theirs. Uh, still am. And just started listening to a bunch of other podcasts and, um, just got interested in the whole medium of just like just talking into a microphone and people listening. I found that to be very fascinating. Um, and then there were people around me saying, Hey, you should do something like this. Cause you talk a lot. So I was like, <laughs> so, I, so I thought about it and I was like, it'd be interesting to do, but like, I didn't want to do it by myself cause that would have been boring. So, and I was like, Oh, how do I want to do this podcast or whatever? So, um, so I asked Avery to help me out and I found this other podcast. I might be jumping the gun a little bit, but I found this one where they're going through the Jethro Tull discography one song at a time. And it's called yeah. Tull to me. Yeah. And so that was, um, that was what gave us the idea. I remember you telling me about it and mm -hmm. I said, like, like I'm not much of a podcast person myself, but it, like I said, if, if there was one about King Crimson, I'd listen to it or I'd check it out. And then Ryan said, why don't we do that? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so that was in August and we started in September. And what I found interesting real quick is that I actually Googled if there were any other King Crimson podcasts and to my little research, I didn't find any others. So, I mean, I highly doubt we're technically the first, but at least from what I saw, it was not a very tapped market. So, hmm. 
So I didn't just want to do another podcast about a band that has like a thousand already. That just would have been kind of boring to do, I think. It's interesting because a lot of um, progressive bands and experimental artists, you'll find that there's not that many uh, actual shows about them. And I'm, I'm really surprised because I thought, I mean, especially King Crimson, because they're the originators of it. You would have thought that they would be, uh, as, as we say in the UK, to a, t- ten a penny. You'd think they'd be all over the place, but they're not. Yeah, well, I think it's just because their music doesn't appeal to everybody, though. I've been a King Crimson fan for over 10 years now, and I've seen their popularity rise greatly due to the internet and online music forums. So I think they've, they've gotten a lot more popular now, but they're never going to be like one of the huge, huge bands. They're a band that like, if you get in, if you start getting into the know, like if you start diving more below the surface level, you'll see them, but they don't come off as a surface level band to me. Yeah, it's very rare that I find anyone in like outside of the internet who knows what I'm talking about when I say anything about King Crimson. Like, it, like I've mentioned the podcast like offhand, and I had one person one time say, "Oh, I think I've heard of King Crimson," but they knew like. This was like an Uber driver. He knew like nothing about them. He just heard the name somewhere. So you've never heard the phrase like, oh yeah, my dad really likes them. <laughs> <laughs> With my, my boyfriend, I, the one of the first things I asked him when we met was, do you like King Crimson? And he said, yes. I don't know how that happened what the odds were of him saying yes, why I wanted to, or why I thought asking some random person that question would get me anywhere. But it got you somewhere, didn't it? It sure did. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't use the age-old joke then when the, when you said, uh, have you heard of King Crimson? And they said yes. And you said, no, King Crimson, different band. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> Same drummer, different band. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we we got into like this huge discussion about Prague from there. Like, he's he's a huge fan of Genesis, and I am too. And like, the reason I got into the Phil Collins era was because of him. Like, he was telling me, like, oh, you need to check out like the Phil Collins stuff, like the stuff after Peter Gabriel. You always have to edge somebody into that era. Most people just stop at Peter. Yeah. But, but that's another discussion. It's yeah. A, <laughs> it's a different show as well, that. But, um, yeah, just sticking with that for, oh, a, yeah. just for you know, just to go down that, uh, that rabbit hole, shall we say. I, I think you're right. I think people seem to, in the progressive audience particularly, they will say, oh, we'll stick to the Peter Gabriel era possibly going as far as when Steve Hackett left and then they'll leave mm-hmm. it there not realizing that there were always hidden progressive gems on virtually every Genesis album past then all the way up to well all the way up to calling all stations I suppose but yeah I don't know what your knowledge of Genesis is like but yeah I oh, think there's always oh, Genesis that. is my favorite band 
Okay. Yeah, it's tied with like, King Crimson is my favorite too. So yeah, and combined, I, I, we could I, write a Genesis encyclopedia together. Yeah. We could do a Genesis podcast, but uh, we could. That's, that's a lot. But yeah. um, I've seen <laughs> Phil Collins live. I've like read books, listened to all yeah, the albums. Like they're they're great. I love them, and I get like people downplaying the commercial stuff, but I. But yeah, as you said, on the albums, there was always hidden little gems, and there was. But I think, more or less, the songwriting was consistent the whole way. You know, like, they just focused on just writing good songs, regardless of if they were poppy or not. And most of the time, the songs were very high quality. Absolutely. And in, in some there ways... There are some bad ones, though. Yeah, in some ways, I can always tell a uh, a Tony Banks melody, uh, you know, that he's written, the, the vocal. Oh, yeah. The, the, the music for that melody, I, I can almost hear it immediately and go, that's definitely one of Tony's songs. And you, you can almost... Especially his yeah. lyrics. Yeah, his lyrics are very, very different from Phil and yeah. Mike. Oh, yeah. And Mike's somewhere in the middle. Not, not putting Phil down, but I think that Tony writes better lyrics for ballads as well. Yeah, because... Um, I agree. Didn't, didn't Tony write the lyrics for Evidence of Autumn? Yes. Yeah, I think yeah, so. And I lo- that's one of my favorite Genesis songs. It is just beautiful. So that should have been on Duke. Damn it. Yes, it should. <laughs> it really should. Yeah. So. A lot of songs that should have been around that period that they recorded that weren't on albums around the Duke period, and then Abacab they recorded songs for both that didn't turn up on the albums, and you think, wow. But but you know we've gone off down a rabbit hole here, but we should yeah. be talking about King. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I can talk about prog bands all day. Me too. <laughs> Same here. So what's the history of the, so you well actually you've just explained the show history. How would you describe the show then to anybody who's new to it? I would describe the show as two 20 some 20 somethings just blabbing on about a band that had its peak in the 70s but yet maintained it, it's just it, two people just babbing on about a, a band that they really like. You know, like we, we do have like the, the term analysis in there, but it's not like it's not very academic in terms of like, you know, like, you know, these bars do this. And then there's like a change here and all this other junk. Um, it's more or less just like we'll break down the lyrics a lot of the time because they're fascinating. But it's mostly just us talking about these songs. And, and what I like is there's quite a few Crimson songs, the further we go down, that don't get talked about in depth as much as others. And so being able to highlight some of these tracks, I think, is really good for them, especially Lizard, when we did the whole Lizard series. Um, I just really liked finally getting a bit more in depth with that record, because the opinion on that one is all over the place. And I'm yeah, kind we, of a, we I'm had... kind of a Lizard defender. So. <laughs> We had fun with that one. I, I feel very strongly against Lizard. So, <laughs> but yeah, like it, it's a very lighthearted podcast. Like I'm I'm not a musician myself, so I can't really talk much about like theory and like the different like chords and that kind of thing, like time signatures, whatever. But I I love just talking about this band and just the impact they've had on my life and just how incredible their music is like it's it's really exciting to have like this podcast and know like 
like here I am with one of my best friends talking about my favorite band and people are actually enjoying listening to our conversations. Like, I just think that's awesome. Yeah. We, we've occasionally gotten like emails from people saying how much they like the show. Um, and I don't always highlight them on the podcast. Sometimes I say if they're interesting, I'll view them, but usually when people send that stuff, I do read it and usually I'll send it to Avery and usually it's just like, Oh, that's just very nice of somebody to reach out. So we, we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, we do. Thank you. That's okay. So I've listened to quite a few episodes so far personally. So the idea is that you're going through the, through the, the songs of uh, King Crimson song by song starting yes. from the very first uh, 21st century schizoid man to what Robert and the, the men will end up uh, coming up with sometime I, soon, hopefully. I believe the last track is, I think it's, oh, you know, it's uh, Power to Believe uh, for Akoda. Yep. But we'll probably put that in with just Power to Believe 3 because it, cause it bookends Power to Believe 3. Because yep. um, I guess I'll get on history on you. And that is Power to Believe 3 was originally called The Deception of the Thrush. And it was longer live and there was a whole war guitar solo from Trey Gunn in it. But when they did the album, Trey and Fripp had a falling out. And so they replaced the war guitar solo at the end with Fripp doing some soundscaping and calling it a coda. So I'm thinking we'll probably just loop those together since they're supposed to be one piece anyway. Yeah. And that's a long way down the line. Oh yeah. I'm excited to talk about power to believe. That's a great album. It's one of my my favorites. I love that album. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very much. I haven't really listened to the whole way through in a long time, but eyes wide open is on that one, right? Yes. Yes. That that song is. That song is one of my favorites. Yes. We're going to praise Baloo a lot when we get to yes. the stint in the band. <laughs> I met him twice. Yeah. So since you've listened to the show, have you have you heard us be critical of Jacko yet? Yes, I have. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, we figured it. Do you agree or not? I guess we'll ask you a question. Um. I, th- I think in a way it's it's a problem for a lot of people going into any band when you're going into bands where uh, they've had such prominent singers. I mean, so King Crimson, you'll think of, you know, Greg Lake, uh, you'll think of, um, you know, J- John Wetton and you'll think of Adri- Adrian Ballou and you'll, you'll, you know, the, the problem is that you're comparing them to them and, there's no way that they're going to get to that sort of level that those three were at, even though they were complete three completely different types of singer. They were incredible singers in their own right. And it's just that I don't think that Jacko's able to get to that sort of level, shall we say? Yeah. That's where you're coming from. I, I still think if they did more original material live, or if they just did a whole album of original material, I think it would legitimize him more. In my I opinion. agree. Cause like, like Martin said, like it, it's hard to, to like match up to, you know, like Greg Lake, John Wetton, Adrian Ballou. Like maybe if Jacko was just like a soloist, you just hear his stuff and just be like, Oh, whatever. But mm-hmm. Sometimes with the stuff he does with King Crimson, you're just like, 
Jacko, why? Yeah. <laughs> uh, his interpretation of indiscipline comes to mind. We're, we're not going there yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole, trust me, that's a whole thing. Cause um, we frequent, well, actually we met on through like King Crimson, like shit posting pages on Facebook and stuff. And so it's a lot of younger people like us talking about crim. And so when that indiscipline, when that live version first came out, uh, so there were some heated arguments. I know there was. So um, I think that was probably before I got into King Crimson because I didn't start listening to them until 2017. It was around then. Was or maybe it? Maybe a little bit after. Well, I, I remember, I think it was like, oh, I was on a Crimson like Discord page. Yeah, I, oh, I yeah. do remember people talking about it. And like when I mentioned that I was going to see them live, like when I got the tickets, my my friends on on the Discord I was in were like, oh, is he going to sing in Discipline? Oh, like, is he? And he did. Oh. I was disappointed. <laughs> but that was the only complaint I have about that show. Yeah. I mean, seeing Bob and Bobby in real life uh, is be lovely. life-changing. Though, I, real quick before we end the Jacko stuff, I will say um, uh, Saturday, or at the recording of this, the next um, song up is we did Prelude Song of the Goals and Islands together. Um, and I do give Jacko high praise for his vocals on Islands. So I'll, yeah. give, him, I'll give him some credit on that one. Yeah, not bad. The problem he's got with the well, they've got with any of those those trio of albums, the uh, 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 discipline beat and uh, three of a perfect perfect pair, is that they are they are such great albums, and they are distinctly uh, Adrian Ballou uh, style albums. So it's really tricky to try and replicate his vocal because nobody else sings like or performs like him yeah except maybe david byrne yeah i mean there's <laughs> there's definitely some, some sorry, similarities just, there yeah sorry, it's just like i know when people sometimes when people would criticize baloo they would say it's like oh they couldn't get david burns so they got adrian baloo but <laughs> i don't find that comparison very one-to-one but yeah it's just I've heard that over the years. So. Yeah, but like another thing with Jacko not being able to sound like Adrian, like he's a, a British guy and an American guy, so the accents they're, are they're different human beings. Just yeah, different yeah. Adrian just has like his own very distinct vocal style, and yeah. I wouldn't say Jacko's voice is very distinctive, at least not to me. Absolutely. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, j just just as an aside, I've got here on my list of uh, bullet points here. So, have you ever thought of um, contacting any members of the group about your about your podcast at all? Funny you say that. Um, so, Elliot. Well, thing is, I don't know how to get in contact with any of the other members. Though I remember a while ago. I think it was on Reddit or something that somebody was like, Hey, like Robert Fripp has one of those like cameo celeb VM things, or if you pay them money, they'll like send you a video or something. So I pretty much placed an order as it were being like, Hey, Fripp, would you mind doing say like an intro for the show? 
Still okay. haven't heard back from him though. So um, it, it's just that? like it was a couple days ago. Hmm. But um, it was just like a spitball. Like if if he doesn't do it, that's fine. I'm not out any money. But you know, but I actually have no idea how to get in contact with the others. Though Avery, I believe, didn't uh, Mastelato retweet some of your memes before? Uh, what happened was uh, someone posted one of my memes from Tumblr on Instagram, and then Pat Mastelato saw that Instagram post and posted it on his feed. That was in 2017. I was like, oh my God, like this is this is one of the greatest accomplishments of my life. <laughs> and and I showed met, that same meme. Met Baloo. Yes, twice. Oh. And I I talked to him on Facebook too, but that's another story. But yeah, he he's he's amazing. Like, and he's just one of like the nicest people I've ever met. But honestly, I, I think if I were to message him and like tell him about the podcast, he might be willing to check it out. Absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I think both him and Pat would, would be, cause they both seem quite, you know, like, like nice guys that, you know, um, they've always liked posts that I've put up on my Instagram about, about Crimson and any projects that they've both been involved in, you know, and I always wish uh, Adrian a happy birthday every year when it's his birthday. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Maybe maybe we should consider that. Maybe we should get Baloo on the show and have him talk oh about my one God. of his tracks. <laughs> I doubt he'd do that, but you know. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. He have him either. recount the story of our meeting. <laughs> uh, I want to hear it from his perspective. Honestly, if there's one song I'd like to get him on the show for, it would probably be Neurotica. Yeah. yeah. That'd be really cool. Who knows, maybe. Who knows? So have either of you had history with recording before, or is this show the first time you've actually done anything like this? Um uh, for like, me it is. Like recording I've... like recording audio? Yeah, like doing a, a, another podcast or radio or any sort of audio recording. Okay, well, so real quick, I guess I'll I'll talk about myself a little bit more. So I this is my first podcast. But I have recorded music before, solo and with a band. Um, I was in a band for a good few years, kind of off and on with a good friend of mine. Um, but then like some personal things came up and I had to leave that um, roughly a year ago. Um, but I do make some solo music here and there, but it's more like ambient electronic stuff. But I haven't really put anything out of note in a good long time. Um, so yeah, I've, I've had history with recording audio before myself and with other people. Um, I don't know if you've ever recorded music or tried to record like songs for bands and all that, but, uh, it's a very different experience. I'd say a bit more hellish. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Yeah. My, my uh, front and end music are both, both me. I've, I've done all those. So. Yeah, oh, cool. 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 So, um, the music that you have in your show and, uh, and, and, and any clips that you might use, uh, how do you go about though using those? Oh, the King Crimson audio? Yes, yeah. So pretty much I, well, I, I own just about all the Crimson records already. So I already have like the database to go to for that stuff. Um, and and we just record the, well, we, we record a Zoom call 
for the episodes, and then we'll edit it through um, Audacity, which is a free audio program. Um, it's a bit primitive, but I've figured out how to use it over the years, and um, Avery edits as well, and he does a pretty good job. So we usually just just do that stuff. And yeah, and the audio for Crimson, I'll just put it in. Um, I'll clip like good parts of it and like fade it in or fade it out or just whatever kind of springs to me at that time, usually. So um, in fact, there's been a couple times where I haven't used the studio version. I've used something different. I think for the Moonshild episode, I used a little bit of, um, I think it was Tony Levin's uh, cadenza that they did live instead, just because I thought it was very interesting to have differently. So, Yeah, I think um, I, th I think you've said before that sometimes the live versions of their songs are so fascinating and so different that it's just interesting to listen to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have an extensive King Crimson bootleg collection. Fripp, please don't steal my soul. <laughs> oh, wait, he already did. Anyway... He's going to turn down the offer now that he knows that. Um, I actually have I have two of the big box sets. I have the Lark's Tongues one and the Islands Arrow one. And yeah, for me, I, so I've just, I just collected them through like Soulseek, just like downloading them. Like I would look up individual dates and then I would just listen to these bootlegs. Like I would be up for like hours at night just listening to all these different versions of Lark's Tongues and 21st Century Schizoid Man. And yeah, there, there are some really, really great ones. Mm -hmm. Like just the whole like Lark's tour, like the 73, 74 tours were just, just so fascinating to listen to. Like the improv being different, like every time. And I've mentioned this, how much I love this, like with every improv, how it just leads perfectly into Exiles. Yeah. And then Robert Fripp doing a different, or a slightly different guitar solo every time on Easy Money. And then just all the different things they do in Lark's Tongues and just, yeah. yeah. They, they keep re-releasing it so they know it's good. Yeah. I've tried to hunt down the uh, the original Great Deceiver box set just because I'd like to have it, like for preservation purposes. But haven't been able to come across a good one just yet. When did they release that? It was '92. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. so like there wasn't a lot of Crimson Live stuff before that. There was Earthbound in USA. That was it? Yeah. Couldn't imagine. I was going to say they seem to be uh, releasing quite a lot of archive material lately with the with all the big boxes and and everything that are coming out so perhaps you'll get something soon enough yeah potentially um I, th I think fripp finally realized the value of that back catalog especially with like stuff like great deceiver and then the early collectors clubs um selling very well and so I think he finally realized that there was a like kind of a hunger for more crimson material because they were notoriously hard to get for a long time, even in the years when they were releasing, re-releasing product on CD and vinyl all the time. But you couldn't stream their stuff, which wasn't until very recently. Even then, it was hard. But now it feels like it's e easier than ever to listen to King Crimson. So it's easier for me to recommend it to people now. Yeah, same here. Like in the past, I'd 
I'd talk about them a little bit, then I'd stop myself and be like, oh yeah, like they aren't on Spotify or anything. So I knew like the people I was talking to, like they wouldn't really know what I was talking about and they wouldn't have like anything to go by. Cause like, I remember when, when I found in the court, like I, I just found like a zip file on someone's blog of the album and like I found that through Google and I just I just downloaded it but like if any like random person like your friend just tells you about some band and like you want to check them out like you're not gonna go like that deep just to find something like I was just really ready to find some new music at that point (laughs) I'd heard a lot about King Crimson and yeah so I just, I came across that, that zip file. I downloaded it on my phone and like that album just immediately, like it, it's impact on me. is just like nothing else. Like that's in I the could, court, right? Yeah. In the court. Okay, in, the court. Yeah. in the court was my first too. Yeah, I think it's like, everybody's first. Like I've never heard anybody say they got in the crimson through red. It's always in the court. Yeah, I just remember hearing "Twenty First Century Schizoid Man." It just blew my mind. Like you too. It, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah that that song as soon as it starts is like something completely different to everything else of its time. It's just yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. It, and even even still by today's standards, like it, it definitely sounds old. Yeah. But there is something, it's just so well performed and like so weirdly recorded that it has this kind of weird charm to it. Especially if it's like when you think that that came out in the late 60s and you wouldn't associate that kind yeah. of music with the 60s. Maybe like, you know, that's closer to like the fusion period of like the mid 70s, really, if, if it's closer to anything. So... Yeah, I remember when I first heard it, uh, like, I was just like, this was released in 1969, like, no way, because I, I just never heard anything like it, and I I didn't even know music like that existed before I heard it, and when I did, I was like, this is the music I've been searching for, like, my entire life. So, really, like, nothing has impacted me the way King Crimson has. Like, from that, like, that led me into the progressive rock rabbit hole. And now I'm the admin of the King Crimson meme group on Facebook. And I've met Adrian Ballou twice. We have this podcast. And you meet Stephen Wilson, too. Yes, I did. I wow. I met him in 2018, and I I showed him the meme that Pat Masolato reposted. That's cool. <laughs> I, I, I think what's made things you you, you touched on it uh, slightly there. I think what's made things a lot better is the fact that they have now accepted the uh, the streaming age, and I think that makes things better for people, like you said, for saying to people who oh, I think you ought to try check this out by King Crimson and now that they can do it streaming wise because a lot of people nowadays they don't just go out on a whim and buy albums like some of us would and think oh I'll just try out this entire album from this band they'll go and listen to it nowadays as a song on a streaming platform yeah yeah absolutely 
and Spotify has like a really good like prog rock playlist. And it originally was like just some live stuff, but then they switched them to the the studio tracks. And like, and they've gotten like really good um, traction on say like Spotify since they started. So. Yeah, I think part of it is the popularity of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, that's part of it too. Yeah, that was recommended to me by an ex and then JoJo was referenced in it. I'm sorry, King Crimson was referenced in JoJo. (laughs) So, Do you know of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? No, I don't know them actually, no. Oh, yeah, it's 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 this really, really, really weird anime and manga and... It just has all these like references to like classic rock and like in just music in general. But it it's it's weird. I, I can't say I would recommend it. <laughs> I just the music references are good. Yeah, if I recall, it's like King Crimson in that anime. It's like this like evil essence or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something like that. It's called a, a stand, but there there's really no way to explain what that means. Yeah. And plus there is um uh, this great adult swim show called Venture Bros where the um the dad is really into prog and there's like one episode where one of the sons finds a bunch of albums in the crate and like and he's like going through them and he's like hey what's this one with the face and his dad's like oh no you're not ready to journey into the core of the Crimson King listening to that too early might turn you into an evil scientist. <laughs> so I've I've seen that that screen yeah, cap. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. It's so good. Just in passing, I like the uh, the cover version of In the Court of the Crimson King by the Claypool Lennon Delirium, if you know that. Yeah, one. that's how I got into them. Okay. Well, and um, when I was in a band, the uh, bass player was a big fan of theirs. Shocker. Um, and yeah, I've listened to their stuff. They're all right. But yeah. their cover of In the Court I really like. And also I've heard uh, Les Claypool, it was like his Flying Brigade, do Thela Hunjinji, yeah. which was pretty cool. It's such like a random Crimson song to do, but yeah, they're both serious progressive rock fans, aren't they? Both oh, yeah. uh, Sean and Les. Oh. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear like a the the child of a Beatle playing arguably the first post Beatles playing an album from a song from probably the first post Beatles album in terms of like musical style, but. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning there, uh, Sergeant Pepper is actually what inspired Fripp to pursue a professional career in music. Oh yeah, Day in the Life terrified him. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah, his um, his dad owned like a law firm and he was going to work for him or something like that, but he'd been playing guitar since he was 11 and then he heard sergeant pepper must have been 21 and he just decided like after he heard that like he needed to create music i think he was tone deaf wasn't he born tone deaf yep and then he just yeah he just taught himself through like sheer force of will like, even developed his own yeah his own tuning yeah i've tried playing in that tuning it is bizarre i bet it's cool though. I like it, but it, it it it's not it's not a permanent tuning or anything like that. You know, I'm I'm really impressed with Fripp like teaching himself all these like classic rock songs and new standard tuning for the, the lockdown lunch. That stuff is amazing. Yeah, okay. wasn't his most recent one like uh, Foo Fighters? Yeah, I think it was like Everlong or something. 
It's just so wow. weird hearing him play <laughs> these songs. That's like you never thought he would ever touch them. Yeah. But, no. He seems to be doing them with his wife lately as well, Toya. Yeah. 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 They're so cute. Yes, they, they really are. are. They're yeah. adorable. Yeah. I think I think it helps that they're complete opposite people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they but the um they, they work together so beautifully though, don't they? The yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you got a favorite album, the both of you, by uh, King Crimson? Well, my favorite is probably Islands. Okay. But um, I also put Discipline up there. Usually if somebody's like, if they want to get into Crimson, I always usually give them Discipline. Just because there's something, I think, very... Well, it's 80s flavored, and people love the 80s these days. And... And it's just such a strong, consistent record start to finish. There's no fat on there. It's just golden. And as much as I love Islands, I wouldn't give it to somebody who's brand new to Krim. So. Yeah. My favorite keeps changing, but right now I just really, really like Lark's Tongues. And like, I just think that that arrow is just fantastic. But there's a lot of different albums that I just have like, a lot of connection to like some kind of like sentimental like like connection with but yeah lark's songs is just like musically it's just so fascinating like there's just so much going on and it's it's just this really great combination of all these different genres and ideas like it's like classical like some jazz-ish ideas and like early metal and just like blues like there's just so much on there it's just fantastic but i also agree with ryan about discipline it's another really great album and i agree like it's consistent like all the way through definitely what do you think of the outside projects then like the uh the like uh, the the crim is it crimson project or and those sort of things as well. Oh but, yeah, that's yeah. isn't that blue Levin and Mastelato? The projects. The project, yeah. Yeah, oh, there's oh, like so oh, like many. Late, oh, like the late nineties stuff. Yes. Yep. Oh, see, I've dipped my toes in the projects, and I really like them. Though, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to appreciate them. If I say when I became a Crimson fan, roughly 2009, if I had listened to him immediately then, I wouldn't have understood it at all. But I think, because I listen to a lot of other music outside of Crimson and even Prague in general, I try to encompass a lot of different stuff, like deep, like weird experimental stuff. And then even like modern surface level pop music, I try to encompass everything. Um, But yeah, the projects, I really appreciate them because... It's just, it's clear that between Thrak and Power to Believe, they didn't really, Fripp didn't really know what he wanted to do with Crimson, other than he wanted to keep doing it. Yeah. And so, it to me, it was him just saying, like, let's detach ourselves from the name, but still try to make music that could be considered that. Um, and it's varying degrees of quality, I think, but it is... I I always appreciate when artists do experimental stuff or um, try something new. I always appreciate that. 
because it's it takes a lot to go out of your comfort zone musically and attempt something out there. Even if it, even if it ends up failing, I'll always respect it for what it is. And I really respect the projects, particularly the first one when uh, Bruf, the la- when Bruford was in that one. That like jazz that- cafe show is really good. Like wow. Was the Br- Bruford Levin Upper Extremities, was that a project or is that no, separate? No, that was okay. separate, but that's also really good. Yeah, yeah, because oh, yeah. I've listened to that, but uh, like off the top of my head, like the only project I can remember listening to was um, A Scarcity of Miracles, and that was a long time ago. I don't like that one. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it like kind of ambient? I, I don't even remember. Yeah, it is. Ambient, it's, like soundscapey. Yeah, that kind I mean, of thing. I, I love ambient music. I'm I'm an Eno fanboy, but there was just something about that record that just kind of I don't know. It just felt kind of boring. Hmm. You know? Yeah, it doesn't Which, leave any impact on me. Like it's easy for ambient music to become boring, but I like a lot of ambient music because it'll because it can get very experimental or just really, you know, try to work with the moods and atmosphere. But that one really didn't. It, it it just it to me it sounded like um it just sounded like they were trying to do a bad David Sylvan album. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So and I do like me some David Sylvan. Sylvian. Yep. I was going to Sylvian. I was going to say, what do you think of the uh, yeah. the work that he did with David Sylvian? Oh, it's it's awesome. I have um oh the the album they did in ninety one. It's in my collection somewhere. Um Next yeah, day, I, I love those albums. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've got Yeah, that. and then uh, Darshan was the other one, I haven't right? heard the other one. They I just heard too. the first one. Um, and listening to it, it's you could see why Fripp wanted it to be Crimson. You can hear it. Yeah, I love David Sylvian's voice. Like, I just yeah. think he's a fantastic singer. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I wish Japan had been around a little longer because I... I really like a lot of their stuff, but like David Sylvian's solo stuff doesn't really do it for me because I'm not, I'm not huge on like ambient music. But yeah, he, his, his album, voice is great. Yeah, I love his album. I think it's from '86, "Gone to Earth." That's probably my favorite of his. Hmm. So, well, it's just a mixture of like really good '80s pop tunes and then just like some deep ambient stuff, and then he kind of blends them together as well. So. Yeah, it's interesting to imagine what 90s and early 2000s King Crimson would have been like if if Fripp had replaced Adrian with David Sylvian. Yeah. Because, like, I know he, like, he offered David Sylvian the job, but he turned it down. Yeah. So I think at that point, Sylvian's like, I don't need to do this. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think he said it was too daunting. It was, like, too much for him to do, which yeah. I can respect his... Yeah, he seems like a pretty like low profile musician. Like he doesn't want a lot of fame and mm. and I don't think he I wanted... imagine this the pressure of being the new King Crimson vocalist. Yeah. Is... And I don't and I don't think he wanted Fripp telling him what to do. So. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. I liked Japan a lot. I mean, going off on another tangent here, we listened to the new uh, Richard Barbieri album this afternoon. So, you know, so. so that, oh, how that, is that? that was good. It, it's a really good album. I mean, th- there's something very, 
I don't think anybody does keyboards or soundscapes like like Barbieri does, you know, even going back to the Japan days. And he's kept that sort of uh, it's it's a strange ambient feel to his to his playing that's that's very much him, isn't it? It's textured and um you can call it musical, but it's more backgroundy sort of yeah, I suppose it's it's the perfect perfect explanation of the word ambient i suppose yeah very moody yeah yeah like i am yeah. um, i'm a big fan of porcupine tree too and i know he was like he did keyboards there too and yeah. people pointed out like he never did solos but like his soundscapes and just like his ideas and like just the different sounds that he used really added to the atmosphere of the music yeah, he's like he's like the next generation Richard Wright. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he, yeah. He gives the songs a beautiful bed to uh, to to sort of lay on and to to build from. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that out. That sounds sounds good. I'm always I'm always in the market for some cool ambient music. Yeah. It's called uh, un, Under a Spell. I think it's called. I like. Right. It. <laughs> I was thinking of possibly doing a punching where I ask you for. For like a a hidden gem that you, you might that you might think that people might not know of, what do you think? Do you think that's a helpful thing? In the Crimson discography? Yes. Yep. Hmm. Well, I already I did mention I love indoor games, so that would yeah. kind of be a hidden gem. Um. Outside of that, hmm. Let's think about it. Do you think cat food would be kind of considered a hidden gem just because like in the wake is just so overshadowed by in the court. And I, I really like cat food and just the, the jazziness of it. I feel like cat food is the song people know from in the wake though. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, how about um, dig me? Oh yeah. 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 I love, or, or even industry. Like I love industry. In fact, of all the songs that the new era doesn't do, it's shocking to me they haven't attempted industry because I think it'd be perfect for them. Yeah, like it, it would really, it would be really interesting to hear that one with the three drummers. Yeah, like, like it that'd would, be awesome. It'd be perfect, and you, and you can hear Levin do a slap bass, and then you could maybe get Melon on there. And I don't know. I feel like it would be that would be a real cool song to bring into a more modern light. Yeah. But, yeah, Gavin could look into possibly because uh, because he does a lot of pro he does a lot of like uh, sample sample work with his drums so he could possibly put in some industrial sounds almost in there just to add to that as well. Yeah, like I'm surprised he hasn't um, even asked Bruford for the old '80s Simmons samples to like use them. Absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, if Bruford still has them, I I don't even know if he does. Yeah, I know he he probably like well he might. I know he did like that big like auction or whatever it was. Yeah, I watched that video. I love that video. Hmm. Because I just like hearing Bill just talk and hearing yeah. him talk about equipment, you know. Because I'm a drummer as well. So hearing Bill talk about it is fascinating. And even get to see that one, like I forget what symbol company it was, but they tried to recreate the red symbol, the symbol on oh, red. Yeah. And and he's just like it's not bad, but it, it's not the same because it's obviously not. But yeah, because wasn't the original like smashed up? He like 
Yep. It was something like that. Yeah, somebody just threw it into a trash can. It was all yeah. like bent up and all that. And he, for some reason, took it, put it on a stand and hit it and just loved the sound of it. But <laughs> it like died after the um, the album was done because it was so beaten up. It just couldn't uh, sustain any more punishment. Yeah. And, like, and I think he even said he went to Peisty and was like, could you like recreate this? And in the 70s, people weren't really into trashy symbols. At least I don't think they were. So Pisces was just like, what do you know? What, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Though I'm sure if if a company wanted to do it now, I bet you they could. I think the yeah. technology has gotten to that point. So, And I've played some pretty trashy symbols in my day that are very close to that red trash symbol sound. You essentially just have to take a symbol and just like, just like rip chunks of it off and just have it be this horrible, messy thing that like could like cut you if you hold it wrong but it's got a good sound <laughs> can, can they go to the original tracks of the the recording and actually sample the 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 symbol from that yeah absolutely but it's like if you want to have like that sound in a more acoustic setting and control it in yeah, your own unique course. way yeah if you wanted to do that but yeah sampling it would be fantastic i'm sure people have hmm. so it, it will it took a long time for me to hear that um, that people really loved that trashy like sound in that regard. That like it su- even surprised Bill as it went on that people loved it, particularly on One More Red Nightmare, where it's kind of a showcase for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, are there any standout moments in your show that you've had so far? Hmm. hmm. There, there's one I really like, um, just because it's it's rather silly and it made me laugh out loud a few times, and that was when we were recording Epitaph, and there was that um, little bit in the moment in the middle where um, Avery brought up at that time the current U.S. president uh, Trump, um, and, and and it was I was just like we're not a political podcast, and then he just goes yeah f Trump, and I just died that. <laughs> That's, that's still one of my favorite moments. The orange gremlin. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's what I call him. That's what you called him. Yeah, I remember funny. that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember saying that. You did. You did say it, that. So oh, funny. my God. It's still funny. I love yeah. it. <laughs> and when um, you suddenly just burst out with that F Trump, it was just like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think oh I think when that came out we were yeah the election still hadn't happened but it was we were gearing towards it so yeah um, must have been like the end of September maybe early October yeah and I'm also a big fan of the indoor games episode just because I get to talk about how much I love indoor games so and I got to talk about how much I don't yeah whatever you're wrong but then I remember <laughs> closing the closing the episode with hey ho Oh yeah, <laughs> and I, and I think I synced up um, Gordon's laugh to that. Because <laughs> I knew I had to do that. I look forward to listening to that one, that episode. Oh yeah, the li- <laughs> the lizard ones are really good. Um, in fact, um, I keep track of like the stats, and when the first one, Circus, um, like was released, that one probably had the biggest gain of listens of any episode. Like it just like shot really high up so so i think people were excited for us to talk about lizards so cool that's cool oh yeah so 
what sort of research do you do ready for the uh, for doing the show? Well, for me, I usually just um, I just listen to the song multiple times. Um, if there's like alternate versions or live versions, I tend to hunt those down as well. Um, and occasionally I'll pick out like cover versions if I think they're like notable. I did that more within the court, picking out cover versions. But as we get deeper into the catalog, it's harder to do. But I think for stuff probably like Lark's Tongues Part 2 or Red, um, I know there are some more covers of those. So I like to highlight those to see other people's different interpretations of the material. Um, I usually just try to, for me, um, immerse myself in that song as much as possible to just really like um, reacquaint myself with it and sort of think about different things that I wouldn't have normally thought about from a casual perspective, more trying to listen to it in a more um, critical way. Yeah, that's kind of what I do. Like I, I listen to the song, I take notes and like, I like I'll read about like the album on Wikipedia or whatever and if there's any like analysis of the lyrics on like genius or song meanings or whatever, like I'll read that. And, and then I, I have my extensive bootleg collection. So if there's any live versions to listen to. I probably have it unless it's from the Jacko era. Mm. <laughs> but we don't like write a script or anything. We just kind of, we just riff it. So like, yeah. usually we'll have notes and things we like want to look, go over specifically but we like to keep it organic so it's just like a normal conversation kind of thing yeah so there's no actual structure at all before you go into the show you just you just uh, make it up as you go along basically yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> so, i mean king crimson made it up as they went along too so why why can't we even when they're yeah. quite live they just it's almost it's almost they've almost got the jazz ethic in a way like oh, yeah. they'll just they'll go in and they've got the bare idea of like, we're doing this song, whatever you want to do around that, do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I sort of live a lot of my life by the jazz aesthetic, like, <laughs> at with, like at least with like solving problems, like just, you just kind of wing it, you know? Um, I'm not, I'm not very like a structured person in that regard. Like I'll, I might be have like little plans of things that I need to do, but how I do it or how I approach it is just kind of how I do it. So, yeah. I'm very surprised that there's not more um, cover versions of later uh, King Crimson songs. Because I mean, even going up to you mentioned, you know, the uh, the power to believe. You've got things like uh, uh, happy with what you have to be happy with. I mean, that's that's a that's a brilliant. Uh, oh yeah. That that riff on there, it just. I found when I first listened to the album, I was there and I'm sort of like trying to count and I'm thinking, what time are they doing this? And I'm, I'm, I'm counting it and I'm counting it. I'm like, no, they're not doing it in that. And, and it's, and there's all sorts of little riffs on that album and on other albums before then as well that are just, you know, you think, you think, why haven't people actually tried to have a go at those songs? You know, well, I think you answered your question because they're rather tricky. Um, yeah that's true plus with new standard tuning yeah on top of just they, like I, the different time signatures a little I think, tricky so i think Fripp started using nst exclusively i want to say starting around thrack though it might have been a little bit later but i think power to believe was all new standard tuning right okay so. i need to look that up i might be able to play it easier 
Yeah, maybe, maybe. Because <laughs> um, one Crimson song I'm surprised doesn't have more covers, as far as I know, is um, on on Thrack, um, Sex, Sleep, Beat, Drink, Dream. Yeah. Because that's, that's just such a funky little tune that I'm surprised more people haven't attempted it. Like, yeah. yeah, there's some weird bits in the middle, but just like you could just do that little riff and just kind of make it a more simple funk version. And I think it'd actually be kind of successful. But yep. I don't know. But there you've got the uh, Bill and Pat both working perfectly together with each other. Mm-hmm. Bill, Bill was always, Bill's always been good at, at working with other drummers at the same time because it worked when they, when you know, got going slightly off topic again here. But when when they did the reunion, when they did the union tour for Yes, and you had Alan oh, yeah. White and yeah. Bill Bruford both playing together, mm-hmm. they, they weren't in each other's faces, so to speak. Yeah, and going even further back when Bill played with Genesis in 76. Yeah. It's good, but it's not as good as Phil and Chester. No. Yeah. But But it's still really, really interesting. Yeah, that that Union tour is very fascinating because that album is crap. But man, that tour is (laughs) like probably the best Yes tour they ever did. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah. They overworked the songs on the the album that the tour was based on. Oh God, yeah! Like ugh. <laughs> when they, when they took it out of the hands of the actual Yes members or the the actual musicians and added to it or put played around with it and tinkered, it destroyed any possibility of what what could have been much better. Yeah, because I think yeah. there's a, there's like one or two songs on there that have potential to be really good. Yeah, but there's just way too much on there. It's yeah, it's it's not enjoyable. But but yeah, what you said with Bill, like. Bill's just, he's such an amazing musician overall. Like he's probably my, he's one of, if not my favorite drummer of all time. And every, every like song or album or anything I've ever heard Bill play on, he's always the highlight. He just, he just knows how to play just like he'll, he's kind he's a bit of an overplayer. Like he'll sometimes do too much, but it somehow always manages to make sense in the end, you know? Yeah. And he's incredibly humble at the same time about it because he'll, he'll downplay his, when you, you hear him in interviews, he'll say, Oh, I'm not all that basically. And you'll think, wow, like, you're, you're kidding, better right? than you think you are. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Have, I have his autobiography. I've read it. Yeah. Um, I, um, I used to have it too. And I remember reading it and he, he is very, very humble. Oh yeah. I think it's like, like he the, describes himself as being so arrogant when he was in his twenties. I mean, he probably it's was, like, but yeah, I'm sure he was but like, yeah, it's like he'll spend, like, I think it's like the first chapter and a half. He just downplays himself as a player. Like to the point yeah. where it's like, is that just like a British thing? Are British people just like overly humble? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think we are. I think it is a British thing. I've heard that before. <laughs> okay. Cause I heard like Rick Wakeman also do say something similar to that, you know, like, you know, British people will just like be like, Oh man, I'll just sit in this corner. Cause I'm not that good or whatever. And it's like, no, you're good. Like it's okay to say if you are, but. Rick, Rick is a very funny man. And oh, I love very, him. Yes. very honest man at the same time. Oh yeah, I have a lot of respect for Wakeman. So even oh. his new album wasn't bad. Oh, no. he has a new album. Yeah, I think it's called Red Planet. Hmm. It, it it's it's kind of um, uh, Henry the Eighth, the Six Wives album. 
So it's, if you like that, you'll probably get some appreciation for it. So, hmm. so um, what other podcasts do you both listen to? Uh, I don't really listen to a whole lot of podcasts myself, really. Like, if I listen to anything, it's it's music. I, I listen to podcasts quite frequently. Just sometimes I'm not in the mood to listen to music. So sometimes I'll just listen to podcasts. Um, I mentioned uh, Chapo's Trap House. I listen to that rather frequently. I mean, also a similar podcast called Bad Faith. Um, it's all about, like, American politics. So, um, But um, also I'm, a, I'm a, a huge video game fan. And every once in a while, I'll listen to like a video game podcast, just if it's like going over news and speculation about stuff. So um, there's one I like, it's called Nintendo Shack, because uh, I'm a Nintendo guy. So mm-hmm. I listen to that here and there. Um, that's really about it. So what advice would you give to people starting out in podcasting for the first time? Make sure you have a good microphone. <laughs> Yeah, so many people complain about the audio quality in our early episodes. Yeah, and for, I was just using this like cheap gaming headset that I found, but um, I think it was for uh, the letters. I finally got like a, a good microphone from Amazon. Yeah, um, I don't know if I'm qualified to give advice on podcasting, but I'd, I'd say like just I don't know, just be persistent, and, and if you have a passion for it, just I guess just do it, you know, no matter what it is, because podcasts span so many different, like, because it's essentially just listening to people have conversations and they can range in so many different topics that if you have a passion for it, just do it. You know, there's a good chance you'll find somebody out there who's into it. And if so, I think you're doing all right. So like, I think our show's done way better than I thought it would. So. Yeah, like I had no idea it would get this popular that like it would reach an audience like anything beyond like just like the community that we're in and maybe like people on Reddit. Mm-hmm. I think the good thing is that um, I've said this in other shows to other people before is that a lot of podcasts, they they get the the niche subjects that a lot of radio doesn't get. So because you're you're hitting a specific audience. Yeah, I mean, there, there is, even though the you say that they're little known, but they have a very strong uh, fandom to uh, to King Crimson. There are people who are incredibly uh, big fans of King Crimson. So I think you've hit that market there. And I think that's one of the good things about podcast. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, because there are other bands like Crimson, like say like the residents or um, other bands like that, that are, they're popular to an extent, but not huge, but that's the thing. Yeah. When you're like not, having that like cult following kind of. Yeah. So it's like when you're not huge, the following, like if you're a fan, you're a fan, like you're almost kind of dedicated to that. And it's just so interesting that other artists like the residents or Tom Waits or um, even Kraftwerk to a certain extent, or Tangerine Dream, like these bands that are known to some degree, but they're not huge. But when you get into the fandom, you kind of get entranced almost by how people are so dedicated to it, you know? And it's just interesting to hear all these different opinions about it. And and yeah, I didn't think like 10 years after becoming a Crimson fan, I'd be this much into it. But I think that just at the end of the day, that just shows how good the music is. 
Yeah, like when I first listened to In the Court that one night, I, I had no idea it would send me on the journey that the past four years of my life has been. Wow, four years. And you've got that collection that you've got now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I also have um, I have a few of their albums on, on vinyl. I uh, Back in 2019, like the early part of that year, I, I would go to record stores around Boston. And uh, so I have, I have a few. I know I have all the uh, the '80s albums um, in the court, in the wake. I got Lark's songs for six dollars. Nice. Uh, Starless and Bible Black, and yeah, so that's eight of the King Crimson albums on vinyl. Weirdly enough, I haven't been able to find the '80s records, though I do have three of a perfect pair. Um, and one cool thing in my collection is I have a 12 inch single of sleepless, which is pretty cool. Wow. It has like the, has like the dance mix and some stuff on there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to collect like all the time. Like I have a huge collection of like CDs and vinyl, but I stopped in the last couple of years just cause money and space and all that. But, but yeah, I have a, I have a decent, I have two copies of in the court actually. So. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, the one I have is a 1978 repress. I have an original uh, American, but it is, ooh. but it's a little beat up. And then I found a repressing from like 83. Hmm. So, but I also yeah, have my, two copies my of that copy on CD. Of, uh, so. Nice. Yeah, my, my copy of uh, Larks is also really beat up. Mm -hmm. I, like I said, I got it for six bucks. Uh, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Is it the cover that's beat up, or the or the vinyl as well? Uh, the vinyl's a little beat up too. Mm. Like it, it kind of skips at one part, and like it's all like crackly. But for for what it is, like a, a King Crimson album for six dollars, and like an original American pressing, like can't complain too much. <laughs> so, how can people uh, listen to your show, and where can they uh, get in touch with you? Well, our show um, hopefully is on everywhere you can get podcasts. So Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Google Podcasts, um, Deezer, like literally everywhere. Um, though our like main hub, it's uh, frame by frame uh, dot buzzsprout, S-P-R-O-U-T dot com. That's like our main website, I guess. Um, and it has the links to our episodes on every um every place so if you want to go there and follow us from there you can totally do that um if you want to contact us our email is frame by frame pod at gmail.com um i've considered setting up some more social media stuff but for right now i think the the email and that website is is good for now so. yeah because i mean like other than that like we're both very much on facebook like mm -hmm. and like i have facebook instagram tumblr like those three that I use a lot. Yeah. And, and, and we're busy people. You know? Yeah. So have you got a page on Facebook for the, for the show or. We don't. Yeah. Maybe... What we, what we do is like every week when, uh, when Ryan uploads the episodes, I post the link on the, uh, the King Crimson meme group. But then, I'm thinking like, once we start Lark's Tongues, uh, I want to also post it on like the bigger King Crimson group. Yep. Is to be honest, like in the past, like 
I've been like a little bit nervous recording sometimes. And like when I've edited the episodes, it's just like, oh, I'm like, I sound like an idiot or like I'm laughing too much or whatever. But lately, like, I think I did really well on Sailor's Tale. And after getting my own microphone for the letter, just like, I'm just feeling a lot more confident. And now that we're starting a more popular album, I think we can reach a, a wider audience. Yeah, Lark's Tongues will be, I, I think we'll get some more hits on that one. But Yeah. Yep. I know I'm excited to talk about that. As am I. Yep. I, th- I think you'll you'll start to gain a bigger audience once you get into like the Lark's Tongue, the Starless and Bible Black and basically that trio of albums there in, in, in red. Oh, yeah. 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 We get to talk yeah. about the Marble Man himself. Absolutely. <laughs> yep, we do. Anyway, thank you very much for talking to me. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank you. It's It's been a pleasure and a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. And thank you, everybody, for listening. and hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us. Is everything where you both are because i'm guessing you're both in the states yep yeah 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 i i live in massachusetts i'm a cashier at a supermarket and i had quite a misadventure trying to get home today <laughs> wow yeah i was i was stuck like 45 minutes waiting for a ride Wow, that's that's yeah, that's that's uh, crazy. Was that, yeah, yeah. Lyft and Uber both being terrible. Way it goes sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So, how, how, I should probably ask this during the show, but you know, when how often do you record it? Do you record it every week for for each episode, or is it in as and when? Yeah, it's roughly once a week. Sometimes we'll get delayed a week for reasons, you know, like work or personal stuff. But yeah, we tend to record once a week. Okay. So, so how's how's COVID then? Is that is is the uh, lockdown? Uh, what uh, lockdown? This is America, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's like we've already, so true. There's already a couple states trying to lift restrictions. I'm not in one of those. I'm in Ohio, but like... Yeah, I'm in Massachusetts, luckily, but I still get idiots coming through my line without a mask sometimes, which is appalling. Yeah, I I think the lockdown... Has it been working better in the UK? Because I know you guys have, like, locked down, like, severely, what, like, three times now? Yeah, yeah. It was more severe the first time than the other two times, though. Because the okay. first the first time there was a police presence about everywhere stopping people from being able to uh, leave the area if they you know if they're not supposed to leave the area but but then the second and third times they've not had that presence there so it's been a bit relaxed I think but you know not as relaxed as some places <laughs> should, we, yeah, should yeah. we say Brazil <clears throat> yeah yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> for sure. <laughs> so. Dear me. But um, it's uh, it's not certainly not helped the entertainment business in in no. some ways. No. Yeah. yeah, I was actually I was actually supposed to see uh, uh, Crimson last summer. Yeah, yeah but, I was too. Yeah, but then COVID shut everything down. So. Yeah, yeah. I had I had I had fourth row seats. I was gonna be like real up close with a guitar friend of mine. It was gonna be great, but oh well. Yeah. Yeah, I was supposed to go with my boyfriend, but alas. Yeah, they were supposed to play Nottingham as well, near near to me, so I would have gone to to have seen them there, but alas, that didn't didn't happen either. And unfortunately I've not seen King Crimson at all live, and I would love to. Yeah, neither have I. So. Yeah, I I saw them live in uh in 2017. Like I've um I think I've mentioned it a few times throughout the podcast. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They played at uh, the Orpheum, which is a a pretty old venue in Boston. Yeah. And it, it was just incredible. It was November sixth, twenty seventeen. Like I'll just never forget that day. To all that in the show, I might as well start it then. If we're going into that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, how was that? Was that okay? Yeah. I, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, um, are you, are you both busy at the moment? You got recording coming up yourselves? Uh, we're going to be recording the next episode. I think Monday. That's what we usually do. Yeah, usually about Sunday, Monday is when we record. So, so you ju- you just do the one the one a week. You don't you don't try to block record them or anything ahead. We have, but yeah, when we, we first started, we would do like two at once. But then we were just like, yeah, this is this is too much because like, like I know for me, like I kind of have to take time out of the day to like sit down and listen and take notes, make sure I'm like ready. It's hard to do that with two songs. Yeah. And usually with the second, when we would have like the second um, episode, it always, to me, it would always sound more tired than the first one. Yeah. So, and, and plus it got to the point where we were like, we would record the two and then I would edit them both at like the same time and then put them up and we'd be like weeks ahead of like yeah. recording and everything. And it, and it just got, to, yeah, it just was like, let's just lighten our load a little bit. Like we'll be okay. Yeah. So. Okay. Okay. And I mean, it's it's nice to have a long term project like this. Like, I don't want to rush it, as I, I really look forward to recording every week. And it's just nice to have like something I'm doing other than like going to work and just coming home. <laughs> and and it's fun <laughs> to go through the discography again. And yeah. sort of like rethink about these songs in ways that like I never really did before. So, yeah, because like I listened to King Crimson so much for so long, like 2017, 2018, and then even for a lot of 2019. Like I, I kind of like took a little bit of a break for a while, but now I'm like really getting back into them. And with Larks coming up, then like I'll have my whole bootleg collection to listen to again. So yeah, yeah, Larks is going to be fun because it'll, it'll allow yeah. me to re-go through the Larks uh, box set as well, which is good, but it's it's weirdly small. 
by Crimson standards now because they've just gotten even huger than that one. So, absolutely, yeah. I suppose an interesting thing is that when you're going back to them, if you've not listened to them for a while, you you can almost have a a new uh, appreciation for songs as well that you didn't particularly weren't enamored to before or weren't particularly a favorite. So you could listen to them again now and think, actually, listening to it and studying it. I really like this about it that I didn't notice before. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, there's, yeah. there's one Crimson song in that wetten period that everybody apparently loves, but I've never been a huge fan of it. So it'll be interesting to see if my opinion changes. And that's the night watch. I've never okay. been. You don't a big, like that one. I've never what? been a big fan of it. I love wow. that song. Yeah. I don't know. It's something about it. Just kind of something about it just didn't click with me, but I, by, I am, of course, willing to give it another chance, and hopefully my opinion will change. But throughout the years, I would listen to it and just be like, eh. Like, I don't know. It's just on that album, I usually just listen to um, Deceiver, Lament, and then just skip to Fracture. Right, okay. Yeah. I mean, Fracture is, that, oh, that's a beast. <laughs> yes, it is. Have, wow. have you ever um there's this one guy on youtube i think he's like making weird music or whatever i think that's the name of the channel and he has like the i think he wrote a book about like he spent decades of his life learning to play fracture and it took <laughs> him it took him like 30 years to do it or something like that and then he holy made, shit and then he made a video of himself doing it and even then he had a couple mistakes in there but it was pretty on point anyway um just goes to show how incredibly complicated that song is to play um, yeah and just how dedicated some king crimson fans are yeah i think even fripp said when they brought it back for this modern era and he had to relearn it that it was the hardest song he had to relearn but wow yeah he he really likes to challenge himself <laughs> he should challenge himself by coming on our podcast Yes, yeah. I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. yep. It would be amazing, but I highly doubt it. <laughs> I it? think my soul would just leave my body like permanently. They played 21st Century Schizoid Man. Uh, Epitaph, Moonchild and The Court when I saw them. So maybe it was I Talk to the Wind? They didn't play that. Yeah. It's so weird they don't play that one. But. I know. That's one of those softer songs that I think like Jacko could do okay with. Oh, yeah. 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 He wouldn't hurt himself. Yeah. Some of Bill Richards' work's got, got, some, got some really good... Um, jazz elements in it in some of his his solo uh projects yeah bruford and earthworks yeah um yeah, even even um i i've even tracked down the stuff he did with national health as well and that's okay. pretty good have oh there's a bootleg of him of bruford playing with gong because he was in like i think gong was the first thing he did after crimson broke up okay i didn't know and that. Yeah, and it's it's so weird hearing him in Gong, like because yeah, like what was he doing in Gong? Like he needed the, like, work. The biggest like <laughs> he needed work, Abe. That's the problem. Yeah, it's just a bunch of guys smoking weed and like dropping acid or whatever. Just yeah, I, I, he wrote about in his book. I think he mentioned that like they were even like, hey, you can bring your like family along, and Bill's like, nah, <laughs> nah. <laughs> 
but um but yeah there's a bootleg of him playing with gongs he's only in it for like two months um it's so weird because if i mean gongs weird already but like yeah hearing his playing in there is fascinating it's not bad but there was never an album to like legitimize it so yeah yeah i think it's a shame shame really with some of these it's a bit like you said with the modern uh version of curve of crimson you know you you'd think well they really need to actually get some material with that lineup in the studio recorded really because yes a hundred percent because i'd like to hear their original ideas because i'm sure i guarantee you jacko has probably presented songs to fripp or even like fripp or mel or just somebody i'm sure has like had ideas of original music with them but fripp seems very adamant to do it I think he's yeah. he's the one who's like he doesn't really want to do new material because I think it would yeah he I think it would stop he, being fun for him so I think he views yeah. this as fun yeah and he just doesn't want to record in a studio and like he says like it, it just wouldn't really be like feasible with the the three drummers and like all that equipment oh I'm sure he could make it work I think yeah. it's just I think he's just at his point in his life. I think he's just seen all of the stress he had to go through throughout King Crimson and how just like he was unhappy pretty much the entire time. And I think if he tried to push it as like more modern, like original material, he would probably have to force himself to be unhappy to make it work. And I just don't think he wants to do that. Yeah. So. I mean, I've I've heard that they they do a lot of like improvised stuff for sound check so you would have thought that mm-hmm. if if they had if they had you know mobile recording equipment they could actually record the sound checks and make albums from that yeah i think they've occasionally released improvs on the live records here and there yeah. but they're always very short and they're never anything that substantial there was one i forget the name of it it was on the radical um action box set where it sounded like very disciplinary and i kind of liked it because it, it incorporates the three drummers a lot more than just trying to force them into the old stuff. But, yeah, if they put out a new album, if they ever do, I'll I'll buy it and listen to it. But and we'll talk about it. But for now, we just have to assume it's never going to happen. Absolutely. Shame. Yeah. Shame. It is a shame. But I mean, Fripp's body of work is already pretty substantial. Um, especially his work with like Eno and Bowie and the solo stuff and all that. Like he's put enough product out there that I think it still stands the test of time. So yeah, like you can easily do six degrees of Robert Fripp with like any musician. You can. I mean, he's even worked with with David Byrne. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's on a uh, Izimbra, one of my favorite Talking Heads tracks. Like I, I, I'd more do six degrees with like someone like Brian Eno, just because he's spanned so many different like eras and music types, and has become very successful without being a big name. Yeah. Well, well, even, well even there, I mean, you know, you could you could use you could use Eno as one of the uh, the degrees between between Fripp and oh, almost yeah. anybody else in the music business. Oh yeah, and I, I yeah. And, Eno, and Eno and Fripp, that's some of my favorite ambient music. Like they gel perfectly together. They do. They do. So. There's a reason why they why the 
what they both did together with uh, with David Bowie, there's a reason why that works. And oh yeah, they they make that that music special. Oh yeah, and then interestingly enough, they replaced Fripp on Lodger with Adrian Ballou. And they, yes, I don't they even did. and I don't even think they knew each other yet. No, they didn't. Yeah, the uh, the story did... that I read is that I. Uh, Robert and Adrian met at uh, at a club in New York. Yeah, and then um, and then Fripp wrote his phone number on Adrian's arm. <laughs> what was that when was Adrian still in Talking Heads at that point? I think so. Okay, because I know he went from Zappa yeah. to Bowie, and then I think to Talking Heads, and then the Crimson. And Crimson, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he um he wrote a post on a blog he used to have like way back. Like the story of how he joined King Crimson, I guess like he was on tour with Talking Heads and like they had like a huge party the night before and then Friff called him at like 9am the next morning <laughs> just asking him like right off the bat if he want like just telling him about the new King Crimson asking him if he wanted to join. I don't think I don't think he was making King Crimson yet. I think he was just like no he was. Well, because they were disciplined oh. for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I, I, I think you're right, though. I think Fripp wanted to revive Crimson, but I think he was afraid to call it it right away. Yeah. I think he wanted and then it, I think I think he was just afraid of, um, like, if people heard Crimson were coming back, there'd be this expectation when they haven't even played a note yet. So I yeah. think it was just more that, oh, he's just forming a band. Yeah. Well, he was still working with Talking Heads, though, even when, when he was with, with Crimson in the 80s. So you've got him on the... The Talking Heads albums into eighty two and eighty four and I think oh, yeah yeah Adrian. really yeah Ad- yeah 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 Belusa's, I thought he was only on Remain in Light I think he did some stuff on the later albums as well but more like mm-hmm. lesser session stuff like he wasn't yeah. like an additional member like on the tours though I do remember um like I'm a big Paul Simon fan and I learned that Adrian Blue is on the Graceland album. But you wouldn't know that because he doesn't do anything that substantial. He just, I think, plays some synth guitar on a couple tracks. But he doesn't do the Baloo thing. He's just a session player. Yeah. yeah. But I found that very interesting. That Baloo has this whole, like, session musician career that, like, he doesn't really make that big of a deal. Because he's just that good. So. Absolutely. Anyway, I should, I should really let you two go. <laughs> oh, no problem, no problem. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, and I'll uh, I'll catch you again soon. Thank you for that. Right, yeah, yeah. No problem. Take care. Have a good day. Yeah. You too. You too. You too. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. You too. Bye.